0: Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Travelcast, episode 66. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So, monsters. Some say the best kinds are the ones we know the least about. To me, the reason the Cloverfield monster was way scarier than, say, Megalon was because you could never quite figure out what the Cloverfield monster was, while Megalon clearly was some sort of arthropod that walked upright and had drills for arms, who teamed up with Gigan to try and take on Godzilla and Inguirius. A totally unfair fight in my opinion. Lovecraft described his monsters to some extent, but rarely had them wreak full-scale havoc, leaving the reader to wonder, with some dread, what the creatures might be capable of doing. I would have totally ruined the stories if I had written them, being unable to withstand the temptation to make Cthulhu and Dagon fight each other in the middle of downtown San Francisco. So yes, this week's Drabblecast is about monsters, and so our 100-word Drabble is appropriately called Monsters by Alex Moisey. Alex is a Romanian-born college student living in Illinois, ignoring real-life issues like angry friends and failing classes in favor of post-apocalyptic scenarios and disturbing what-ifs. His work can be found in Residential Aliens, Bewildering Stories, The Desolate Places Anthology, and Strange Worlds of Lunacy, as well as on his website, which we'll have in our show notes. This Drabble won second prize in the Residential Aliens Microfiction Contest. Can you check for monsters? My dad sighs and heads for the door. Please! I scream after him. Alex, go to sleep. Daddy, please. I smirk, looking cute. Do you promise to go to sleep if I check? Mm-hmm. This isn't about me grounding you. You really are scared? I nod, sobbing. I heard it under the bed. My dad sighs again. Holding his new tie, he leans down and peers into the dark. there is no... Suddenly, a furry blue hand drags him under. That'll be five cookies, kid. The blue monster growls as I lean back, smiling. Our feature story this week is called Creatures in Disguise by Australian James Shackle. James wrote this story for Drabblecast, and our editors immediately fell in love with it. So, without further ado, Creatures in Disguise by James Shackle. The wind was born behind the city. Blowing in from the eastern plains. It flowed through the streets in crowded laneways, up and over cars. Then it was past the buildings, leaving the noise behind. It blew on toward the distant hills and the forests there, whispering through the quiet places. It glided above small shapes moving fast, around boulders and over streams, up and up, Until it reached a cave, sunk into the bones of a mountain. Amber light spilled out into the rocks nearby. The wind circled and spun, dancing over the flames. Until it reached a figure huddled in a corner of the cave. Then it died. Ed's eyes flashed open. How long had he been sleeping? He couldn't tell. They couldn't be far away now. He'd probably left a trail of blood leading up the hill. They had an excellent sense of smell, Grandmother had said. They could track you over snow and mud, over wood and water. He'd brought a loaf of bread just in case, but he doubted it would do anything to sway them. They didn't feel things the way humans did. Things like mercy. The fire spit and crackled, throwing dancing sparks towards his pack in the corner. It didn't matter now. He thought back to yesterday. All the signs had been there. He should have seen the trap. He'd been hiking up through the hills outside the city. Tom was next to him. They were both thin and malnourished, the legacy of years spent on the run. The flat grassland gave way to heavy pine trees. Ed had been able to find a small path through the forest. It was overgrown with weeds. He sensed eyes on him. Loosen up, buddy, said Tom. We got the better of them back there. They won't find we're gone for at least a couple days. "Mm, I don't know. They gave up the chase quicker than usual. That was too easy. That's only because we make it look easy, said Tom, grinning. Trust me. That was when it happened. Ed remembered only a flash of feathers and a scream from Tom. He had began to run, his mind flipping over into panic. He heard wings beating behind him and he increased his pace, running deeper and deeper into the forest, cutting and ducking. Eventually he had stopped and looked back. There was nothing. Only the trees, bending quietly. Needles rustling together. A sense of stillness. He looked down at his leg, it was bleeding. That was twenty-six hours ago, a day spent painfully trekking higher into the mountains, his wounded leg dragging along the ground. He'd found the cave as it was getting dark, set into the side of a cliff and sheltered from most of the wind. It could only be a temporary shelter. They would be hunting him now, scouring the hills on wing and foot. Ed knew his energy was almost gone. He couldn't run anymore. It was a relief, really, when he thought about it. To stop running. To turn and face them at last, even knowing he couldn't win. He thought his grandma would be proud. She was the one that started it all that day at the park. Ed was only ten at the time. The question had been plaguing him again, twisting and knifing like a splinter in his mind. There was something wrong with the world, but no one else could see it. On that day, as they were walking under the trees, the words had tumbled out of his mouth. Why do we feed the ducks, Grandma? She had tensed then. Holding her plastic bag to her chest, it was filled with small pieces of bread. She looked around, warily. Why do you ask? she said. I don't know, it's just something I've always wondered, he said. His grandma had sighed and looked out at the lake and the birds swimming there. Do you know much about ducks, Edward? she asked. No. They're a contradiction. On the surface, what you can see, they glide serenely across the lake, yes? But underneath, their legs, they're constantly moving, always in frantic motion. Ed had been confused. But what does that have to do with us feeding them? she said. They reached the lake and fed the ducks in silence. A crowd of them gathered at their feet, thrashing through the water for the little crusts of bread. Ed had loved the whole process, even if he couldn't understand it. He remembered his grandmother had seemed ill at ease. They left the lake when the bread ran out, walking slowly back along the gravel path. The ducks watched them go. Ed's curiosity had not diminished. His parents would often find him up in his room, late at night, sifting through websites, looking for information. Most of what he found had been straightforward and uninteresting. Ducks were a member of the Anatidae family of birds. They lived on grasses, aquatic plants, and small mollusks. Only one sight had piqued his interest. It told of an old Indian proverb dug up outside Goa in the late nineteenth century. Mankind beware, the saying goes, of creatures in disguise, of beating wings and jagged beaks. Death stirs behind their eyes. His parents and teachers would not give him straight answers. I don't know what you want to hear, Edward, his housemaster had said. There are some things in life that you just shouldn't ask about. Ed had been shoved politely but firmly out of the room questions flitting through his head like butterflies. He had decided to go back to his grandma and try again. She lived in a small house, he remembered, near the park. It was an old weatherboard place, tired and overgrown. Small flowers lined the brick path up the front door. Ed had always loved that house. He'd sat with his grandma in the living room. The afternoon light beamed through the windows, and dust motes danced and spun around the air. It had smelled of mothballs and memories. I want to ask you about the ducks again, he said. His grandma hung her head, then got up slowly and went to the window, peering up and down the street. She then walked quietly over to the living room door and closed it. Only after she'd done this did she turn to answer him you really want to know? Yes, he said, more than anything. She'd told him then, told him everything. Even lying there in the cave, 12 years on, he could scarcely believe it. She'd explained about the ducks, about their need for bread, their terrible hunger. It's a sacrifice, she said. What we do with the bread. It keeps them happy. It's an arrangement. Ed had sat there in shock as she related the whole story, told him of the murders and the disappearances. The police call them suspicious circumstances, but everyone knows what that means, she said. It means they've been taken. But why? Ed managed to ask. Why do they do it? I told you said his grandma, pleading in her eyes. They have a great hunger. Bread cannot sate them for long, and if anyone talks about it, even in whispers. She trailed off. What happens to them? Ed asked. His grandma shook her head sadly and got up from the chair. Time for you to go, Edward. Time for you to go. They had found her body three days later. She was lying in bed, a loaf of bread, uneaten on the dresser. She'd locked the house from the inside. The police seemed baffled. Edward was told the circumstances surrounding the death were suspicious. They had never found the killer. That was twelve years ago. Twelve cold and bloody years, running from town to town, place to place, never settling, always looking over his shoulder. He had met Tom in New York, a fellow runaway. They were both hunted men. Now Tom was dead, and Ed was alone again. He looked up, into the darkness in the mouth of the cave. There were small shapes moving outside, waddling and shifting in the gloom. He heard the ruffle of feathers and the sound he feared above all others bouncing and reverberating off the walls. Quacking. The quacking echoed around him, louder and louder, and he covered his head with his hands. Let it be quick, he thought. Then the fire went out and the darkness swept in. was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. So the secret's out now, and if for some reason there is no Drabblecast next week, you'll know why. I'll have been taken. (laughs) Little feedback now for episode 62, Sizzle by Weldon Burge. This was the story about the doctor and the creepy old hillbilly with the brain worm alien demon thing. Strawman said, gee, an alien symbiote forcing a man to do what he wants to do already. A very interesting twist on the devil made me do it. Kevin Anderson said, Great episode, one of the best this year. The Drabble, Missing You, is by far my favorite this year. Drabbles are tough, especially getting a beginning, middle, and end in that economy of a hundred words. This one was superb. I enjoyed Sizzle mostly because it's a dialogue piece. I understand how hard they are to write and to write well, but also because they work so well in audio and podcasting. And this one was spot on. The often quoted Mr. Tweedy said, I liked the story, even though it was not at all original an alien parasite that empowers a pretty bad guy to be really bad, I think there's a Spider-Man villain who fits that description. That's one of those ideas that gets recycled time and time again in horror movies and episodes of sci-fi TV shows, but that's okay, because it's a really interesting idea, one with lots of philosophy behind it. Glad most people like the story. We love to hear what listeners think about the stories we produce here, as do the writers who submit them. So if you get a chance, you should drop by our forum at www.drabblecast.org and tell us what you thought of today's story. While you're there, you can push the donate button and drop us a donation if you'd like to help us pair authors and buy more splat sound effects. Well, that's all for this week. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means you can't change it or sell it, but you can share it with whoever you want. Our staff is made up of co-editors Luke Coddington, who thinks President Roslyn is probably a Cylon, Kendall Marchman, who thinks Leah Dama is probably a Cylon, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, who is a Cylon, reminding you listeners to feed the ducks.